You're listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Glose. Today's episode is sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. Chef Becky on the podcast today. That's Becky McGrath. She is the head chef, the chief at Burgerville, fast food chain located in Oregon. She's from Portland, also from a large family, lots of siblings. She says this is really where the Cooking 101 started. Her parents made all the kids help out in the kitchen when it was dinner time, lunchtime, breakfast time. You got it. Uh, it wasn't, though, until she saw something on the Today Show that that light bulb went off for her. And she said, I want to be a chef. Off to culinary school right after high school. And then she got accepted to a culinary school in Ireland. It's very specific. She'll explain the significance. She comes home. She works at a few pubs, New Seasons grocery store for about a decade before the call for Burgerville comes to her. And she snatched it up. She really appreciated their philosophy when it comes to creating food because it's right in line with everything that she believes in. Sourcing local, supporting local farms, local ranchers, and then taking that and turning it into something incredible. Burgerville started as a single restaurant in 1961. They've expanded to about 39 stores across Oregon. And this idea, their philosophy, their list of local partners that they use for their milkshakes or onion rings, all of this really spoke to Becky. And she'll explain why this really is the perfect fit for her. Here's Chef Becky. So in doing research on you, um, your last name didn't pop up like anywhere. It took some digging. You're Chef Becky everywhere. Yes. <laughs> so finally, finally, so funny. finally, I found an article that said, Becky McGrath. That is you. That is me. Okay. Woo. Yes. What part, what article did you find? Um, I'd have to look it up. I think it was an article on Burgerville that you were changing the menu, maybe like some new changes were coming to the Burgerville menu. And so it was like a, it was a goldmine for me because I did get some bits and pieces about you. But before we get into all of that, I want to introduce you properly. Chef Becky McGrath, you are the chef of Burgerville, the, um, burger chain, I guess we could say in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you had, tell me a little bit, well, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm so excited to talk to you about not only your job, but really how you got to this point. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. You said you do a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh, okay. 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 Gotcha. Um, uh, so First, Chef Becky, I want you to tell me where you're from originally. Uh, Northeast Portland. So you are an Oregon yep. girl. I am an Oregon girl. My folks moved us here when I was one. So I am a Pacific Northwest girl and I love it here. I love that. Um, you are from a big family. I am. I have seven siblings. Woo! Girl. Oh, uh, where are you in the lineup? I am in the middle. I'm as in the middle as you can get with even numbered siblings. <laughs> so I question... have four, four older siblings and three younger siblings. Okay. You are right smack dab in the middle. Question. Does that whole middle child syndrome thing come in when you have seven or when there's seven of you? 
Um, well, I'm a bit of a buffer. I'm the one that makes sure that nobody kills each other on either side. Um, and I got away with a lot of things because nobody really knows what the middle child was doing. They're more concerned with making sure the oldest one doesn't kill themselves doing something stupid. And the youngest one is not off a, running off a cliff somewhere. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I also read that your parents um, were, I don't want to say foodies, but food was important growing up, right? Yes. Tell food me about was that. very important growing up. Um, with so many kids, my parents were kind of uh, ahead of their time. Um, a lot of things that they bought were mostly in bulk. And like we have, would have 25 pound bags of <laughs> rice mm -hmm. and breakfast cereals like farina and oatmeal. And we had a bit of a garden in the backyard and my mom had us canning with her for nice. from a very young age. So we would can a lot of vegetables. So wintertime when it was time to make marinara, we would go down to the basement and get tomatoes. I love that. So, yeah, we were preserving and doing all that. And we, having eight kids, you have to cook large, large amounts of food all the time because we were feral. We ran around. We were all over the neighborhood running, running around the all year long, basically. So it took a lot to feed us. Mm. And my mom would say all the time, uh, I'm not cooking for all of you by myself. So we were always in the kitchen helping her out. I love that. Well, it teaches you so much. I mean, whether you're helping prep, you're actually helping doing the cooking or even the cleanup, it shows you that the food doesn't magically just appear in front of you and then get whisked away like you're a princess. I mean, there it's, I, I think the same. My family, we did the same. I was, you know, either told to clean up or help or do something. And I think it really does teach you a lot. It's true. You have a better respect for where it's coming from. Absolutely. Um, you can also, it shows that you can also have fun. Like um, part, one of my fondest memories of cooking as a kid was making blintzes for Hanukkah. And we always had lots of people over for Hanukkah. It's eight nights. So there was usually anywhere from two to 15 extra people to come and learn and participate in the festivities and we always had lots of chocolate and blintzes and yummy sweet things and which meant that we were making lots of blintzes right so you know we were back there in the kitchen making filling making the blintz leaves rolling them up listening to music chatting laughing and like that's part of mine and my sister's best memories is of making blintzes and just you know the fun that we had doing that Absolutely. Was there anything your parents cooked, mom cooked, dad cooked that you just just really hits home for you that's pretty nostalgic? Mac and cheese. Yes. Spaghetti. Those th those things my mom always like made them with fun different shapes mm -hmm. to kind of engage with us a little bit. So we would have pinwheels, we would have bow ties, penne, various different shaped pastas and colors cuz I mean little kids want to you know, they want to be involved in what they're eating and they want to be involved in the food that they're having. Um, I remember once we had friends from down the street over for lunch in the summer. My mom made mac and cheese and we were all just starving. So we dug in and we're eating and the kids are like, that's not mac and cheese. And because all they knew mac and cheese was uh, a box. Mm -hmm. So the shapes and the color of the, the sauce wasn't 
bright orange and we we didn't understand it we're like whatever if you're not going to eat that's more for me and then I went over to one of their their houses and their mom made mac and cheese I'm like you can't put cheese on a shelf it has to be refrigerated what are you doing yeah no absolutely I will say I, I make a pretty mean mac and cheese like the whole bechamel you know good gruyere that kind of thing but there are times where I crave good boxed mac and cheese, a high quality boxed yes. mac and cheese. But do you know what I mean? I, it's it's nostalgic a little bit for me. I think there's a a level of having a boxed mac and cheese and top ramen in the cupboard that every chef has. Whether, whether they want to admit it or not, you get home, you're tired, you're hungry. Yeah. Nobody wants to put energy towards making food. So it's like, ah, it's just me tonight. I'm just going to have some mac and cheese and you'll pull out a box. Like it's in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I used to uh, work in TV news and we had a cooking segment that we would feature local chefs, local restaurants. It, absolutely my favorite thing easily. Um, but one chef, you know, he's cooking up this incredible, just gourmet type things. And I'm like, so, you know, when you're, off or you're on your way home like what do you like to eat and he's like carl's jr right because of that reason right there he's like i just worked you know 10 hours in the kitchen i i'm not i'm not going home to cook i'm picking up like a burger and fries yeah or it's the end of the week and you're like you don't want to remember how many hours you've worked that week and you don't want to cook yeah so chef becky was there a moment i guess in your childhood because I know I read correct me if I'm wrong you went to culinary school like right after high school right right after you graduated so was there a moment in your childhood growing up where you were just like this is it I'm I'm gonna be a chef this is what I want to do yes so um most of my adolescence I watched a lot of cop dramas and I wanted to be a cop really cops and robbers I want to go put away the bad guys and um uh we always liked cooking my mom would let us kind of play around with it the problem was is if it didn't turn out we all had to eat it anyway yeah (laughs) can't waste it nope and uh it kind of my parents raised us vegetarian Hmm. so we were we were we did not have steaks chicken none of that was in our house and uh so when my parents would go shopping on saturdays um, we would go to the store and buy steak, <laughs> cook ourselves steak. Our neighbor kids are over there like, mom and dad are gone. We're going to go buy candy. We're like, peace out. We're going to get a T-bone. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had stashes of like cans of tuna in the house so that when they left, we could have a tuna sandwich. And so that, and then like the, the really, the, what really kind of turned me and made me want to really go for a a life of, you know, making delicious food for other people. I was watching the Today Show and they were interviewing this woman in Ireland, which was something as far back as I can remember. I was like, I'm going to Ireland. It's beautiful there. I've always, I always wanted to go. And they interviewed this woman. Her name was Myrtle Allen. She had a uh, bed and breakfast in a teeny tiny little town on the coast of Cork in Ireland. And she, they're talking to her because it's pretty famously known in the UK. 
It's a kind of an upscale. It looks more like a boutique hotel at this point than it does a bed and breakfast. But uh, when she got married, she didn't know how to cook. And her husband liked to eat. And he was a farmer. So she had to teach herself how to cook. And she began to enjoy it and began to continue to further her knowledge. And she was talking about how she went from a newlywed that couldn't scramble eggs to owning this bed and breakfast that has an extensively beautiful menu that really kind of captures the freshness of the area. And, you know, a lot of Irish food is not what people think it is. They kind of attribute it to bangers and mash and fried Mars bars and fried fish and chips. And there's a lot of really delicious, very, very like fresh food in Ireland. So I, I saw her being interviewed and it's like, oh, wow, that place looks amazing. And I started looking into it and she talked about her son and daughter-in-law who had a culinary school. And I was like, well, there it is. That's what I'm doing. Wow. And so I started, you know, playing around more at home with recipes. And um, I, that's pretty much when I decided I was going to culinary school and I started uh, my path in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I like it. I loved, I loved working in um restaurants I still love working in restaurants I love teaching teaching people and helping them expand their knowledge base and their skill set so amazing you had like stars in your eyes a little bit yes from this old lady that I'd never heard of before from the minute I saw her and I did go to her um son and daughter-in-law's culinary school oh no way I did absolutely that was my goal and I did it so I went to what was Western culinary at the time here, right out of high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I, not long after that, I put in a, you know, an application to go to the school there. It was, it still is kind of small, but it was very small. I think there was only 50 students that they took at a time. Wow. And the cookery course was three months. And you live at the school. Incredible. So, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um. What do you think, what do you think that experience did for you ultimately in your culinary profession? Did it kind of open your eyes to new things, new techniques, new food? It did. It did. Um, the thing about that school is it's a fully, fully functioning and sustainable farm. Mm-hmm. They're, they have multiple gardens, floral gardens, uh, vegetable gardens, herbal gardens, all of that. And they're no, they're very much known for it. People come from all over the world to walk around their grounds and look at their beautiful gardens. And their most important thing is they really pull from what's close to them. So typically what you're looking at is most of the food is coming from at least 10 kilometers from the school. The fish came from Ballycotton and still comes from Ballycotton, which is, you know, just about five miles up the road. And it gets, you know, the fishermen go out, they get the fish and they bring it and it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, out of the water. So you're getting the freshest possible seafood. The, the ranchers that raise the cows are not far away. They're in the next town over and, you know, they purchase cows from them for the school. The pigs come from another farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, walking from the town, the town, there was a Basically, this town was a petrol station, a door that was the post office, and two pubs. 
Wow. That was the main strip right there. Like, yeah. But there was a potato farmer on the way. You walk about a quarter of a mile in and there's a potato farmer right there. And that's where a lot of potatoes come from. So really kind of using the land and getting from getting product from people that are close by mm-hmm. and developing those relationships with those farmers and those ranchers. And, you know, that that really stuck with me. It was, you know, locality. How do you how do you not just support those farmers, but in turn, you what you're doing is mutually beneficial because they have an outlet for food, but they also have the ability, the the school to reach out and get more people to purchase. And it makes me so sad that, you know, that does exist in, in many places around not only the country, but across the globe. But it does make me sad that it's, you know, we're having to get back to that right? It used to be that way. We got away from it. And now I think folks like yourself, we're trying to get back there because mm-hmm. like you just said, it's not only better for us, for our bodies to be eating things that are a few minutes outside. Um, but it's also, we're supporting ranchers, farmers, fishermen, you know, I mean, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. A few weeks ago we went and visited, uh, the farmer that grows our onions for our Walla Walla and you know we it's about four hours from here three and a half hours from here and you know going and meeting up with them and walking the fields and walking the plant that the they take the onions to and kind of separate them out as to where they're going and cure them like it was just amazing to have that time like we've been working with them for over 15 years Mm -hmm. and it's not a transaction to us and it's not a transaction to them love it it's a relationship so it's a partnership and they're very proud of the product that they grow and so are we we're very proud of it as well we're really grateful that we're able to use an heirloom variety Mm -hmm. from the same people and support the same farmer i love it i love it you know my grandmother was a farmer i'm from south carolina and she absolutely was you know, not large scale, but for us, right? Like she grew corn and beans and tomatoes and cucumbers for us. And so she would put those up either, you know, we would preserve the corn and and freeze it and all those things. And I'm, I'm bummed at myself because I don't, I didn't appreciate it then as much as I appreciate it now. Like, first of all, the hard work, the back breaking work that she went through to keep up with this garden and feed us right when we would come over um but I think now I look back and I'm just like man granny just killed it she killed it out there in the garden she did amazing she did amazing work and I just wish I wish when I was eight I could have appreciated that more I was at a lunch uh just last week and some of the salad and some of the dishes they were talking about how the vegetables in these dishes were literally picked maybe an hour ago from a few feet away from us. And I just, I'm not trying to get woo woo or like, you know, silly about it, but there is something special about that. When you're pulling something from the earth that you put in and this beautiful thing came out and now we're taking it and transforming it into something incredibly delicious. There is something very special about that. You just, you can't deny it. That's true. The flavor is impeccable. Yep. Right. And you can't, you really can't deny that there is a flavor difference between, you know, 
picking a zucchini right now mm-hmm. from the garden mm-hmm. that's been cultivated and tended and it tastes like summer. Zucchinis always tasted like summer to me. Yeah. I love that flavor. And then you go to the store in December and you get zucchini and it doesn't taste like anything. Right. Right. So there, there's a difference between growing something in season and having that like attention paid towards, you know, not just seasonality, but the craft Mm -hmm. that really comes with farming. And like you said, the backbreaking work. Absolutely. Like a flipping beast. Yeah. Like, so there is a respect there that I think is missing for a lot of folks because they're so separated Mm -hmm. from their food. And I'm not going to put names to this, but I did have a conversation with an adult about 10 years ago who didn't really put together that carrots were a root vegetable and what that meant. Interesting. He was fairly disgusted that he was eating something that was grown in the ground. Like, I was like, do you know where potatoes come from? (laughs) He didn't. He didn't really think about it. He didn't have this idea of how the food is grown. So we've been separated from our food so much that, you know, there are people who don't put that carrots come from a farmer, somebody who put their love and compassion or passion into growing that food. They just know that it comes from the grocery store. Right. 1000%. And I'm, you know, I, I'm going to say I was the same way at some point until I really started to, you know, not that I, I knew that carrots came from the ground, but I think there is the appreciation wasn't there. Right. So like Mm -hmm. I understood all of those things, but I think now as an adult and my passion for food and farms and and ranches and all of that, I think now I do definitely have that appreciation from where, you know, where food comes from. It's not, we don't just get it from the grocery store. It had some human had to, you know, make this happen for us. Um, I love the fact that you went to, you said, I'm going to culinary school. I'm going to this culinary school in Ireland and you did it. You made it happen. Yeah. I mean, it literally was, I was young. I had zero ties to anything, right? I Mm -hmm. was my family. I had my family, but I didn't have anything that was holding me back. So I literally just went and spent six months there. I went to that three month course and then I spent three months pretty much doing whatever the heck I wanted to. But, you know, when I came back, I really had a different appreciation for like where our food comes from. For sure. It's like who grows it. And I, I, like you said, I hadn't, I, I knew, you know, where the, the fruits and vegetables come mm-hmm. from, you know, that it's a plant that comes out of the ground or a tree, right? You understand these things, but when you have a connection to that farmer, to that rancher, and you have like a face that is, you know, the person that's there, when you have that connection, it's different. I totally and everybody, agree. I think deserves to have that kind of aha moment, right? I was I was listening to this uh, video where they're like, everybody should have to work in the service industry. And I was like, it's funny because all service people say that, right? Everybody should have to work in the service industry so they know what it's like. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody should have to go and actually pick fruit on it. Mm-hmm. Pick strawberries. It's not easy. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. And when you start to look at that, your appreciation for purchasing and just throwing away food changes. 
right? You're going to purchase what you what you need versus your aspirations of what you're going to eat that week. Yeah. I mean, grandma would say, you know, I'm picking beans today. If you help, if you help granny out, she'll give you $5 for every bushel. And I was like, I could do that a bushel. And I'm, you know, like 12 years old. So Mm -hmm. I have a ton of energy, whatever. Go out there. It's hot. South Carolina, it's humid. Um, I realize a bushel is quite a lot of beans. I probably got 10 minutes in and I'm like, grandma, I can't. This is too, it's too hard. And I went back in the house while she stayed out and picked, you know, however many bushels of beans that she picked, bending over, pulling them out. Right. I mean, it's just so, so much respect, so much. Um, we are going to talk about Burgerville, how you got there. Um, you had a few stops along the way, so it's not like, you know, culinary school straight to Burgerville. So I want to talk about that. First, though, we have a quick message from today's sponsor. We'll be right back. Gourmet provisions and fine kitchenware, a cook's dream, all nestled in the culinarium in downtown Ashland, Oregon. Discover the latest in bakeware and cookware and timeless pieces to complete your kitchen collection. Unfold something new and fresh for your tabletop. Find all the essentials for your home bar. Stock your pantry with an array of gourmet goods, oils, salts, and specialty items. Shop the Culinarium from the comfort of your own home. Visit ashlandculinarium.com and discover the finest gourmet provisions in kitchenware. So you finish culinary school. You come back to Oregon? You come back to Portland? Yeah. Okay. So... Back to Portland. Now it's time to find a job, right? <laughs> it's time to get to work. It's time to put all those culinary skills to use. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Um, well, before I went, I did my externship from from Western at Kells Irish Pub. I figured Irish Pub going to Ireland. There you go. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so you got the the that like introduction into the world of culinary arts that um, I mean, you get some of that in culinary school, but there is practical and then there's actual, those two things. Usually there's a little blur ground in the middle, right? When you're in culinary school, you cut that carrot to be exactly square so you can cut it down to whatever shape you want it to be. In the real world, if you throw that much carrot away, they're gonna fire you. But they still want it uniform. So you gotta you gotta take that practical and put it into mm-hmm. into actual daily usage. And being the only girl in the kitchen, I had a lot of heckling a lot of the time. Um, they were good guys, very good guys, but they were also kitchen dudes yeah. and pirates. Uh, I, think, I think they didn't quite expect me because I was raised by my brothers and I was raised to not take crap from anybody yeah so you know it definitely like a few days in they they were you know giving me a hard time and I snapped back at them they're like oh this is gonna be fun and we did we had a great time but you know I gave them just as good as they gave me good Good I learned a lot from them and I loved it there so then when I came back that connection got me a um an interview and a job at a pub a gastro, what we would now call a gastro pub, right? So we did spitfire food, we did spitfire chicken, 
pork. I mean, there was a lot of, it was a brew pub, so there was a lot of fryers, but we had a fairly decent menu that was nice and extensive and gave me a lot more knowledge on how the functionality of a restaurant works. And um, every place I've worked, I've always eventually within a short period of time gotten into some sort of management because I can manage my time. I can help manage other people's time. I, I really do feel like that came from being in a large family. You know, you gotta, it wasn't just you getting ready. You had to get you and anybody that was younger than you ready. Right. So, you know, I learned a lot of that and I've worked in, you know, some um, mostly family owned smaller restaurants okay. in Portland. Um, I did some kosher catering with a friend. And that was, that was a crazy, crazy six, seven months. Uh, kosher catering is, uh, it's own it's own beast and there's not a lot of it in this town, but you know, there's a, there's a niche market for it. And I worked for with sure. a friend and I loved that experience. It was a great experience. And then I was able to, uh, get an interview at new seasons. Oh, actually, but I interviewed with somebody I had interviewed for, a job at another location and they wanted me to start at this other restaurant they wanted me to start and my sister was getting married right when they wanted me to start I was like I was trying to interview for a few weeks weeks later I'm like I'm interviewing for a job but I need a few weeks that fell through and that's why I did the coaster catering because it was a little more flexible a little bit more open to me being able to take the time that I needed um that same person took my resume with her when she went to new seasons hmm. and she called me up and she's like, Hey, you ready to work? I need a sous chef. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I love that. And so I worked at new seasons and their delis for just shy of 10 years. Wow. I love new seasons. It easily just such a beautiful grocery store. Good stuff. It is. It is. And it's interesting because my dad worked for uh Kino's. Oh, back in the day. And so when Kinos went out of business, New Seasons took over one of their old locations in Raleigh Hills. And so the friendliest store in town went from being a Kinos logo slogan or slogan to being a New Seasons slogan. So it was kind of, I had a little bit of a connection there because I, my dad worked at the Kinos that was literally right next to our house. You could see the brick wall from our living room window. And so we grew up in that in that store crazy my Full mom didn't circle. go grocery shopping. she just sent us over there she's like i need this go get some money from me yeah yeah that's full circle yeah it's interesting well it's not it's a portland small portland right. is a fairly small town so you know the the more you live the smaller your world gets you know the more you know the more people know somebody knows somebody who knows somebody sure. right? it's the seven degrees of the mcgrath family <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So kosher catering, you said that was kind of crazy. Like, were there interesting challenges that came along with that job? Yes, I was. I am Jewish. Right. Um, on my mother's side. But we were not raised in a kosher household. Okay. So I didn't really know all the kosher rules. Oh. And you think, if you don't know it, you typically just go, okay, so can't have a cheeseburger. Right. Don't put don't put animal with an, animal product with animal product. Right. You can't have dairy and oh. and you can't have a cheeseburger because you can't put the milk 
from the animal with the animal meat. Got it. There's a lot more rules to it than that. There is a very definitive set of rules for either dairy, kosher, parv, all the, di- this, the different areas of being kosher, right? So there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of rules around it. Right. And you, I mean, I have, I have a few Jewish friends and just hearing what they have to say about certain meals and holidays, mm-hmm. do not mess around with those rules. It is no, you don't. very strict. No, you don't mess around with, uh, you know, having, you can't use the same utensils for eating kosher for either dairy or meat. Right. You can't. And parv. Right. Those are, they're, they're different things. So you have, what you'll usually find is some sort of plate, spoon, cooking utensil, whatever it might be with a paintbrush on it, like paint, some sort of nail polish or something on there to color code it. You have more than one fridge, more than one dishwasher. If you have a dishwasher, like there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And that's just for regular everyday use. (laughs) Was, was that, I mean, was that a good experience in a sense that you had it or were you like at the end of it, were you just ready to like break some rules? Um, no, I loved it. I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. The, the community that comes with it when you're at a, a synagogue and you're making making a meal for everybody who is coming down for Kiddush and you have all these people there, they're they don't treat the people in the kitchen like the people in the kitchen. They treat the people who are preparing their food like their family. Like you come out and they want you to participate in, you know, that hangout portion of it. They want you to be a part of their community because you are a part of their community. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a lovely experience in that aspect. They very much, um, the minute you walk in, you're part of their family. You can be Jewish. You could not be Jewish. Like you're there. And that part I really loved. Yeah. Um, it was difficult at first <laughs> to be like, what do you mean? I can't put butter on my steak and I like to have butter on my steak I want butter on my steak right so you you it was a little difficult to have rules that were not breakable Mm because I was used to breaking those rules when it came to food yeah and so having that definitive line of yeah no you can't do this you can't do that and having the rabbi come in and be like looking over your shoulder and being like what 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 you doing there (laughs) How's it going? And, you know, no pressure. Yeah, no, you could not. Like if we were making a meal that had meat in it, you couldn't have a latte in the kitchen. What? No. Not even in the kitchen? Nope. Wow. That is strict. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it, though, as it should be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So. And there's lots of reasons behind it. So it was, it was fantastic. And I think it was the break I needed to mm-hmm. kind of let me, you know, break away from that line cook mentality, get a little bit of knowledge from a different source and how you cook. And I got to bring some of my knowledge into them because I did grow in a house that uh, my, my mother wouldn't allow us to bring things like margarine in. Yeah. 
Well, because she's smart. We had it. Right, exactly. <laughs> like that stuck with all of us. Like we're like Kerry Gold Butter is the only thing that's allowed in our house. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so going in there and they're like, oh, we're going to have meat. So we're going to saute the vegetables with margarine. I was like, or olive oil. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we could do this. And so I got to, I kind of got to bring in a little bit of a different way of looking at things sure. for how we can put things together. And it gave them a different perspective on it, right? Because they're like, oh, we don't have to use margarine. Right. I mean, they do for baking because you can't, mm-hmm. don't take your dessert away from your juice. We'll be very upset. Mm-hmm. And if you're eating kosher, you can't have whipped cream on dessert at the end of the day, right? You have to have something that is um, got no, no animal products. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you finish up the kosher catering and then you go to new seasons, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. For 10 years, you're at new seasons. Yes. I mean, that is a stint. That's, it is. that's a good chunk of time, especially for chefs. I know how y'all operate. You bounce a little bit. Mm-hmm. I got to bounce a little bit. Yeah, you did. I have several stores. So I got to bounce a little bit. Good. I spent a good portion of, spent half that time in Hillsborough. Okay. Like they have their Ranko Station store out there. And I spent a five, almost five years in that location. And um, I loved it. The people that were there, the people that came into the store, you get to know your community. Um, I, I had a fantastic time there. And I loved it. What I loved the most is, especially right in the beginning, is you pretty much could do whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. We were open to create anything we wanted to, to put in the deli case, to make soups. Like there wasn't a whole lot of restriction around that. And um, it changed once we had some a merchandiser come in. Her name was Jamie. She came in and she just put a little more structure to mm-hmm. how we set up our deli case. Which was wonderful because, you know, I got to help develop some recipes. Um, our hot food bar uh, was my world. I could go and do whatever I wanted over there. And I love to make soups so I could make whatever kind of soup I wanted. And you have an entire grocery store of things to choose from. So fun. And you have to be mindful because you have to pay other departments for it. But, you know, you could go out and go over to the beer and wine section and be like, all right, so I'm going to make a brisket and this is, I'm going to grab this bottle of wine. I'm going to put this wine in it. So there was a a lot more ability to be creative there. That's wonderful. All right. Let's talk about Burgerville. When did, when did this opportunity come up for you? So the same person that called me to interview at New Seasons, she had moved on to working with uh, uh, a different company and she called me up and said, Hey, so I heard about this opportunity. Uh, I think it's perfect for you. I think that you should uh, put in an application. Can I give them your number? And we talked about it and I told her yes. And they called me for an interview and I came in and interviewed and um, our values lined up Mm -hmm. very much so. Mm -hmm. And it was great because leaving new seasons, we, you know, you have a strong appreciation for local farms, for local ranchers, um, small local businesses, because they really highlight those, those items throughout the entire store. Absolutely. And, you know, there's pictures of farmers all over the place in the stores, right? right? So 
you know, coming to Burgerville, I didn't have to say goodbye to a lot of that. In fact, I got to keep that and bring it with me. And so really, you know, this company respects the farmers and the ranchers and they respect the animal welfare and how the animals are taken care of and, you know, how the ranchers are taken care of, how the farmers are taken care of right. and relationships. So a lot of those things lined up. When was and this? So, um, this is my eighth Walla Walla season. Wow. I've been here seven and a half years. Wow. And uh, yeah, I said that to my brother the other night. He looked at me and he goes, it's been what? Right. <laughs> so they were looking for, Burgerville was looking for a head honcho, right? A, the, a head chef really to yeah. sort of maintain, create the menu. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was you. I love this. I love yeah. this. I actually interviewed at um, the restaurant over by the convention center. Okay. Had- so I, I, got, I left work. My sister works two blocks from there. I left work. I went over to her hotel, did my hair, makeup, changed my clothes and walked across the street <laughs> for my interview. Awesome. Had you been a customer of Burgerville like before this interview? Yes. Okay. So like I said before about us little rebellious kids going to buy steaks when our parents weren't looking. Yeah. Yeah. We would go to Lloyd Center Mall. We grew up right in the middle between the Hollywood District and Lloyd Center. Okay. And we would go to the mall and we would just go the long way and go to Burgerville and get cheeseburgers and eat them on our way to the mall. Yes. (laughs) I love that so much. So... You're a customer of this of this restaurant. And I just want to mention this. Uh, Burgerville has a tradition of serving fresh food made with local ingredients. They started as a single restaurant in 1961, and that yep. has now spread to 39. You have 39 restaurants? Yep. Okay. Um, I have a couple experiences with Burgerville. A few people were like, you've got to go try burgers at Burgerville. I'm like, it's a, it's a burger. Like, you can't. Okay, sure. Holy crap. It was so incredible. Completely different. It tasted different. The milkshakes. Holy shit. The milkshakes are amazing. So I guess my question for you, you know, being in this, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's healthy fast food. You know, that's, it's on the website. It says that on the website, but I, I really do think that's true. And looking at the philosophy of Burgerville, it's different right? Would you agree? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's different. Yeah. You guys really do support local farmers and local ranchers. It's listed right there. I don't even know, but 20 something partners that you have. That we use regularly. Yeah. We've got a lot more than that. Yeah. But like there's some that we just use seasonally, like our, you know, the Lakati farms. Um, we use them seasonally because Walla Walla onions only grow seasonally. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's, there's so many that I could name it's There's so many of them. We use Chuckanuck cheesecake periodically in our, in our milkshakes. You know, I was raised by New Yorkers and my mom is a little bit of a snob when it comes to New York things that as, are made over as here. As she should be, as she so should be. I was, I was raised with a, um, like that's not cheesecake. <laughs> kind of an attitude. So Chuck and Duck makes a cheesecake that is 
phenomenal. Their cheesecake is delicious and it's just up in, just outside Bellingham. So, you know, those kinds of connections are really important to us and raised the way that our, my parents raised us, we were raised to appreciate our community and take care of our community. You know, the thing that Jews do is somebody has a baby, you feed them. Somebody has a loss in the family, you feed them. You have extra food, feed people. Like, you know, my aunt Janet is always feeding, feeding, always got food around feeding people. So it's that caretaking kind of um, mentality, right? You take care of those around you and you make sure that the people, there's nobody in your community struggling. So having that and coming here and having that same kind of mentality and really a way of life, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our motto is serve with love. And so when you really kind of break down what that means, who are you serving? Right. Right. Who's serving you? Who are you serving? When you look at the word serve, you know, it's to me, it means to take care of. So that was really beautiful for me to be able to come into this and, you know, really develop richer ties to our community and the people in it. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I think, so Southerners, I feel like Southerners and Jews get along really well because Southerners feed people too. If, mm-hmm. even if you've just eaten, did you eat? Like people walk in the, would walk in the house, in my grandmother's house and she would say, can I get you, did you eat? We just, you know, we're eating, whatever. Did you eat something? Here, here's food, here's food, here's food. Here's a casserole. They don't wait for a response. They're basically yeah. already making it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sit and eat. Yeah. How dare yeah. you not eat? So when you get to Burgerville, was it kind of like a, did you want to make changes or did you have this idea of like, it's not broke, don't fix it? Like what, what were you wanting to bring to the table? Um, what I wanted to bring was really looking at the, primarily at first, the seasonal offerings, mm-hmm. right? Our, our limited time offers. And um, I was, you know, given a very quick rundown of what you can't touch. Don't touch the Walla Walla onion rings. Don't touch the summer berries. Those are things that like, don't touch pumpkin. For the crying out loud, do not touch pumpkin. You will have so many people in an uproar. <laughs> so there were certain things like when I, the first things I was actually tasked with was, they're like, we want new holiday shakes and we need two burgers to end the year. Okay. Start with that. Right. So that's what, that's what I started with. And um, it just, you know, you don't want to take a, you know, such an established menu and change it too much. No. Because, I mean, people come here for a reason. The original cheeseburger is very iconic to this area. Yeah. Right. The spread is very iconic Mm -hmm. to Burgerville. So coming in and being like, I'm going to change all this, that, that wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't be serving with love. So what I wanted to do is really continue to emphasize the locality, right? You know, I have a lot of family back East and you tell them that we have Marionberry shakes. They're like, what's up Marion? <laughs> yeah. Right. So they don't know what that is. Yeah. And you have people coming in from out of town who don't really understand mm-hmm. some of our, you know, things that are really iconic to this area. Mm-hmm. And I, I realize I've used the word iconic mm-hmm. a couple of no, it's times. All good. You know, it really kind of, it's very different. It's like huckleberries. Right. We don't currently have huckleberries in our menu, but 
you know, not many people know what that is outside of this area and how hard it is to pick them. I do appreciate the limited, the limited time deals, right? Because that to me says you're not getting berries or onions that were frozen or this or that, right? It's just, here's when it exists because this is when the season is. And once that's Mm -hmm. over, you're not going to get it until next year. I I appreciate that. That's amazing. And our onion rings are literally handcrafted in each restaurant. So, you know, get a whole onion in and they cut that down and they hand bread it in each location. So when you go, you know, it's, you're very much being given something that has been handcrafted in that building. You know, in the summer months when we, right now we have our raspberry shakes and we're about to go into marionberry shakes where in a few short weeks we will be, you know, serving everybody the Walla Walla onion rings with the marionberry shakes, oh. which is my younger sister's favorite time of year because she loves the, the marionberry shakes and she loves, absolutely loves the onion rings. So um, these things like are part of the reason why I just love being here. I know. I can right? I went to pumpkin and pumpkin. There was one year that uh, we were having a hard time sourcing somebody to produce the pumpkins because mm-hmm. we used to wish pumpkins and they're very much a, a Northwest pumpkin. It's a heritage brand, but n- the person that was making our puree stopped making it. They stopped that whole line. And we were not sure we were going to have somebody to make it. And I swear the pitchforks came out. People were not happy. And it was only a rumor. It wasn't even a fact. <laughs> somebody just heard that we were going to have pumpkin. And we had literally, we had so much hate mail. Oh, no. <laughs> and then we're like, no, guys, guys, take a breath. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're just starting it a little later than we usually do. It's going to be okay. And the pumpkins came out and everybody was happy as well. Okay. Like, happy, happy, happy. So there's those certain things that, you know, you don't want to mess with too much. At all. No. And I, I'm that, I'm there. Like, don't mess with my favorite, my favorite burger. Like, don't touch it. Don't take it off the menu, please. Crying out loud. But I do, I do get this feeling. I mean, you are just right where you belong. You really are. Like, it seems like you started on this path and I, I feel like it really started in Ireland for you at the culinary school this idea of sourcing local or as close as you can, and then just making really good food with that. I see it. That's awesome. That is what I like to do. And I get the opportunity to um, find different and unique ways of training a large group of people. Yeah. Because I can't go into each restaurant as one person and hand train everybody, but finding different ways to give them the tools to be able to continuously improve your skill set. That's my most important thing. It's like always pushing to continuously improve our skill set, then we will be the best and the top of our of of our business. Right. So we're always looking for ways that we can engage with a broader group of people at our at our restaurants and really give them the skills to, you know, consistently improve what they're doing. And what I do believe is working in the restaurant business, because we you, we have a lot of folks that come in in high school and then they go out and they go to college and they, they go on to find their passion in the world. And 
what I think that we can give them is the ability to work in a high stress environment with a diverse group of people, both coworkers and guests. So if you can come in and you can take those skill sets, you can take that to any job, anywhere. And so when you have some, a business that has a lot of entry-level positions and a lot of folks that you know they're not gonna, <laughs> they're not gonna stay forever. Sure. This is a stepping stone into getting into the workforce. You know, you have a really great opportunity to give them a lot of skills to take them into the rest of the world. Well, and how do you ensure that? Because you're, you know, as Chef Becky, I mean, you have those skills. You could, you know, probably kill it at every Burgerville location. How do you make sure your philosophy, your skills, your idea of how food should be prepared, cooked from start to finish? How do you make sure that is relayed over to all of these 39 stores, all of these employees? So it's, it's on us to consistently, you know, re-engineer how we're looking at training and how we're looking at engaging with our crew sure. and how they engage with the world, right? Because that has evolved over the course of time. Like the way that uh, my nephews and nieces are learning right now is very different from how I did. It is extremely different. Like I do have a nephew that is and about to start his senior year in high school, and he's been taking culinary courses, and the way in which he engages with his chef there is very different than how I engage with my culinary chefs. Right. Right. So he learns very, very differently. A lot of our younger crew, they really, they learn through videos. They don't want to sit down and read it. They don't. And that's very very apparent when you start to ask them questions about recipes and they're like, Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't see that. You have to try and meet them where they're going to get the most information. Of course. So, you know, consistently having, you have to have it written. There has to be a recipe. There's no no way around it. There has to be some form of recipe written down for people to follow. And so we have that. We have training videos. And we have a source for them to go to one location to look at those training videos. And we train hands-on with their district managers, right? So those district managers get trained Mm hands-on by me in one location so that they can learn like what the process is from start to finish and what the end result should look and taste like. Right. So they can take that and train their restaurants. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That's how you do it. Um, This has been incredible, Chef Becky. We're going to wrap up a little bit and get to the final three. The most important question, though, I have to ask you is, when is Burgerville coming to Southern Oregon? I I hope soon. I do hope soon. We are in conversation around expansion. I love it. And um, our, I can't say new anymore, but our CEO, Ed Casey, um, he loves this brand and he was very, very happy to come on and mm. start working with us. And he's been in the food service industry for, I can't, I'm not allowed to say how long, but he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's been in the industry for a long time and he is very knowledgeable. And, you know, he is like, we have not come anywhere near tapping out the, the market that we are in. And he is talking about how we can go down to central Oregon there is conversations. Okay. Send me um, his email. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, 
we we're definitely going to be expanding. There is conversation around expanding. I just am not okay entirely positive in what order we're going to do it. But we there is conversations about Central Oregon. There's conversations about uh, Central Washington. All right, that 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 works. I'll just uh, it'll just be road trips now. In the meantime, yes, I've been saying for since I got here. I'm like Bend is an open market, and there's a lot of places around Bend yeah. that we could go to that you know, really would love us to be there. Well, I'm a fan of not only the food, but I really am a fan of the philosophy. And I love any company that supports their neighbors and their community. Um, and it's not just talk, right? You, I think you guys really do walk the walk here when it comes to supporting local. Yeah. I love it. It's, All right, it Jeff, is a passion bar, so. It is. Yeah, you can tell. You can absolutely tell. All right, we're going to wrap it up, get to the final three. Best advice you've ever been given? Uh, best advice I've ever been given for yes. the kitchen? I mean, the kitchen, life in general. Like, what's something that you just maybe repeat when you're training or something that just is always in your head? The most important. That's a tough one. I know. <laughs> really, it's not an easy question to answer, but I think what I really kind of um, have taken with me for a lot of years is the do unto others mentality. Yes. And I take that to a lot of different aspects. Um, the respect that the animal deserves, right? So do unto others, the animal should live a very happy life. Um, giving those around you the knowledge that you have. Sometimes they don't want it right away. Sometimes they don't realize they need it right away. We all live in that, right? I know better kind of idea, but if we're constantly working, working with the idea that we can, you know, treat others with respect and really consistently keep with that, sometimes it's more challenging than others, but if that's what is always behind us, that's what's important. Yeah. Especially it just, this occurred to me the other day, you never know what's going on with people. You never know what battles they're fighting internally. So just yep. my philosophy is don't be a dick. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> just my, be nice. My friend has a sticker and I kind of want to get one. Yeah. But it, yeah, that's very much what it is. And it's like, you know, it's a level of respect. We can't just demand it. We have totally. to show it as well. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. What's your happy place? My happy place? Yeah. My happy place is uh, cooking for my family. Mm. In, yep. my, in whose especially kitchen? Especially in the holidays. Like in the holidays. Um, mostly my, my sister or my brother's kitchen. Okay. My, uh, my, I have two siblings that have the best setup for our giant freaking family. <laughs> and uh, my brother Aaron has uh, a giant Prager. That Ooh. we get to go and play with and smoke food on. And I I like cooking where um, I can have all of the control and also, you know, participate in everything, right? You know, I've got a cocktail in one hand. I've got no shoes on because they don't allow shoes in their house. And we're making something that is very family style. Yeah. You know, you've got... This is where I learned how to make large quantities of food. We got giant bowls of salad, giant bowls of vegetables, high, piled high mounds of meat because mm -hmm. Lord, trying to feed all those nieces and nephews is not 
Good grief. That's a lot. I feel so that's you. my experience. I love that so much. I love eating family style. I love it. You're yeah. passing food to the next person. You're holding the bowl or the platter to help like let them get their serving. I just, that's how my family, that's how we eat. And I love, mm-hmm. I absolutely love family style. We had my nephew the other day who we cooked up uh, chicken wings on the grill and he's running through the house with chicken yes. in his hand, yelling, I got beat. He's just like, yeah. Yes. I love it. Also, I, I also love the fact that you just have to be in control. <laughs> You're the boss. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, okay. In all things food and drink, what do you crave? What always sounds good to you? Food and drink? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, black Manhattan. A Black Manhattan. My brother makes a Black Manhattan that is our signature drink. Okay. For most of us. Delicious. Yeah. And um, a plate of meat, cheese, and pickled vegetables. I want a steak cooked rare, sliced up. I want some really yummy cheeses. Mm-hmm. It's a variety of pickled vegetables, some sort of horseradish and mustard. And I'm just like talking a big old piece of wood filled with all of these things. And then I just want a fork and a steak knife. And that's it. The plate is everybody's. And we'll sit around yes. the end of the um, the island and just yes. go to town and eat. Yes. That's, that's really where it's all at because um, it, it's, you're, you're kind of, everybody has to be involved in the eating process and the conversation process. And it just, it's nice to sometimes just feel like you're, I've got a fork, I got a steak knife. Let's go. Just like this, (laughs) right? Just like this. (laughs) Let's go. That's awesome. Chef Becky. Oh, you have been so fun. Um, I'm so glad we were able to connect and do this interview and I would encourage the listeners, the watchers to really just do a little education on Burgerville because it's not just another fast food chain. It's not. No, it really isn't. It It is uh, so much more than that. It is. And I feel good about people coming and eating the food that comes from there. And it's delicious. Trish, thank you. It's been wonderful chatting with you. I do love to talk about food and booze. <laughs> Me too, girl. Me too. I could literally talk about food and geek out over food and drink most of the day. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your story no, with us. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Glose. Today's episode sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.